We know now that in the early years of the 20th century, this world was being watched closely by intelligences greater than man's. Men from Moto. Digital strategies with Travis Sowers and David Seville. Intellect, vast, cool, and unsympathetic. Broadcast to the world with the uncanny help of Mana Deprived and FaceToFaceGames.com. Greetings, people of Earth. We are the Men from Moto, and you're listening to episode 42. I didn't get you anything. My name is David Seville, and I have Travis Sowers with me again this week. How are you, sir? I'm wonderful, David. How are you? I am fantastic. Uh, happy one year anniversary. Happy one year anniversary. I didn't get you anything. I know, I know. Same joke. Rinse and repeat. If people are still actually laughing out there, please let me know. They're all laughing on the inside. <laughs> They're laughing at us, not with us? Something like that, yeah. All right. Um, but no, for real, we've, uh, we've been doing this for give or take, uh, a year now, minus a, a couple of days, I think, depending on when we launch this, which is kind of crazy to think about it. I think when you step back from the whole thing, it really is. It's something that I've really enjoyed doing. I've, I've liked kind of prepping for podcasts, thinking about magic more than just playing and hanging out with you, Dave. I've enjoyed that aspect as well. I uh, I have enjoyed our time together as well. Um, I feel like we've put out some high quality episodes. Um, <laughs> listening listening back to some of uh, to the original, the pilot, our audio quality has certainly come a long way. And um, uh, yeah, it, it's been good. So um, I think I'm going to renew my contract with you for uh, for another year if uh, if you'll have it. Yeah, sign me up. Sign me up. And and like you intentionally did bad editing on that first episode so it would sound like a pilot, right? Uh I blame the uh the recording software we used, I think. Yeah, I'm sure it was terrible. <laughs> um but for real, you know, uh here we are a year later and um the the topic for this week I think is um we're just kind of doing like a, like a mixed bag of, of topics. Um, we had a bunch of small little mini topics um, that your chat put together this morning. And um, you want to talk about a little bit about standard. I wanted to do kind of a retrospective uh, on our podcast in the past year. Um, and then I think we both want to look at the the next year coming up. There's some, some exciting things on uh, magic online and magic arena uh, coming up as, as well as uh, you know, new sets and things like that. So we can kind of look ahead um, you know, I guess some podcasts will do this in the new year. And I guess this is our new year. This is our fiscal new year. So, um, <laughs> sure. Let's, let's, let's beat them to the punch on this one and, uh, uh, look, look to the past, look to the future, um, and then have a little fun along the way here. So what do you say? Buckle in, let's go buckle in. Um, so first I guess let, let, let's look backwards. So our year in review. So we started, I believe the pilot was episode 13. So I guess that makes this our 30th episode which is kind of a good milestone in itself. Um, so f for listeners that haven't been with us along the way, um, we started rebooting the podcast uh, from the original one, which had been kind of mothballed, I guess. It, it hadn't been active in a few years and, and you picked up the rights, quote unquote, rights to it, brought me on board to, uh, to be your co-pilot. And here we are 30 episodes later. We started... I guess once every two weeks and uh, have since moved to every, a weekly podcast, which it's been difficult to, for, for me sometimes to come up with uh, content week to week, but uh, it's been pretty good so far. What do, what do you think? You want to, you want to stick with this weekly thing? 
Yeah, I'm digging the weekly. It's never been difficult for me to come up with weekly content. I mean, I do all of the that actual work anyway. So mm-hmm. I, I haven't actually had a problem there at all, I would say. But yeah, I, I like being able to produce this weekly. And like I said, it forces me to think about magic and not just play it and make sure that I can communicate what I'm doing. And honestly, if you can't communicate what you're doing, you probably don't know what you're doing. So it, I think it's made me focus more on my gameplay as well so that I can find some spots to talk about and have something interesting to say. So I, I think mm-hmm. it's been good for my magic playing. But yeah, I'm, I'm ready. Buckle me in. Let's do another 52 episodes. I like it. Um, I, I find that I, I, I find that um, it's it's easy for me to articulate a lot of the things that I think that I knew about magic or that I thought I knew about magic, um, the, the, the further we've gone along in the podcast here. And I'm finding myself when I'm when I'm seeing new lines or, or I'm learning new things about magic, I'm already putting them into the context of how am I going to talk about it on the podcast? So it's like a way of of helping me internalize the things that I'm, I'm learning. Um, and, and I think one of the good things that, that we've done is there, there's a couple of, of topics that you championed. It's in particular uh, one on mulliganing. And um, you, you've kind of taken, you know, you, you talked about it before on your stream all the time. And then you kind of put all that together in a nice package. And now you point people to the podcast to listen to that. It's like, hey, you should go listen to this specific podcast because we talk about this. Um, and even though, you know, you might be refining your thoughts as you go forward, it, it kind of gives us a, a starting point to, to point people to and say, you know, start here and then we'll we'll have a conversation after that. And it lets people kind of catch up on the conversation. Um, I think that's been pretty good for, for your stream anyway. Um, but it's also good for us to kind of, kind of set that benchmark for ourselves as well, right? For sure. And and that podcast was helpful in more ways than one, because in the past people could come in and just say, I'd mull that and know that they're going to set me off and have me launch into a tirade for 20 minutes. But now I can just say, I wouldn't. And then if they persist, I can, I have a command. You type exclamation point mulligan in my stream and it points you to that episode. I'm like, yeah, go here, listen to this. And after you've listened to it, you can come back and we can talk about mulligans. Yeah. Um, the other thing that I've liked so far about doing this, and um, you know, th- this has been um, instrumental, I think, in making me a better limited player, especially early in a format, is um, actually sitting down and doing set reviews. Now, early on, we did the whole set. And lately, we've been doing uh, key features of the set. But even still, um, I-, I think... It, it has prepared me for the early weeks of a format um, or, or the, the first week of a format much more so than me just listening to somebody else talk about it. I have to sit down. I have to think about it. I have to defend my points. Um, and that debate back and forth that we have, you know, every, every time a set comes out and, and the first week after a set comes out um, has really made me step back and, and kind of reevaluate some of my evaluations um, or, or, or reevaluate the way that I approach, approach a new format. Um, you know, one good example of that, I think is the card opt, Right. Where you and I had a spirited debate about it and we probably definitely disagreed on it. Um, But at the end of it all, I still I still came down on my side of the argument and I had a much more solid reasoning and a much more solid understanding of why I thought the way that I did about the card, why I actually liked the card. Um, And we've done that on a few different cards, you know, right or wrong. It doesn't matter. I think the discussion that we have, which is not rehearsed, right, a lot of it is on the spot. A lot of it is raw kind of thoughts about a card. Um, and you know, us bouncing those ideas off each other, I think at least has made me a better player, um, and the way that I approach, you know, cards and limited specifically. So I hope that, 
hope that I've brought you along there with me and, and kind of enhanced your outlook um, specifically on, on new sets when you do the set review. I think you've done that for me as well as for the listeners, Dave. Outstanding. So can we continue to debate these uh, weird one-off awesome cards that you'll never first pick, but you'll hope to get on the wheel? Yeah, as long as you can admit that Op's terrible and you barely ever play it, uh, we can be good because I barely do. What was your favorite episode that we've done? I think mine was obviously the Mulligan episode, but that got me thinking. What was your favorite episode that we've done? I think the Return to Return to Ravnica, which was early. I think that was episode two for us, episode 14. Yeah. Um, that was pretty good. Like, I I, I think that um, if I could go back and, and take a Mulligan on an episode, it would be that one and re-record it today with all the stuff that I know about doing podcasts now i think i would re-record that one okay um although i i think the uh which which was the sunset not the sun the the saying goodbye to a set amonkhet god the one where you hit me with the sarah mclaughlin song i think that was probably my best uh best (sighs) memory best individual memory from a podcast (laughs) yeah because i was not expecting that at all that Uh, was great that was great yeah so um but but new listeners, um, you know, there's there's some highlights you can go back and, and listen to if you're interested in the history of of us doing the podcast. Uh, the quality gets better around episode 16 or 17. Um, we did Magical Christmas Land early on, which which I think was a good episode. Uh, the Mulligan episode. Uh, I really liked F2468, which is our, our moto shortcuts. Um, mm-hmm. And I've actually pointed people that I've been playing with on Magic Online. Um, sometimes they'll get a matchup in the casual room. Uh, or, um, even last night I had somebody, um, you know, talking with me in my game of magic, um, and they brought up a topic that we had discussed on the podcast before. So I pointed them to that, but, um, I definitely point people to the, to the shortcut episode. How do you play faster on magic online? I've actually started using F4 since that episode and it is so good. It is fantastic. Isn't it just better than F6 and F8? Yes, it is. Like F4 is everything I want out of a button. I agree. Um, yeah, so, you know, good year. We've done multiple set reviews. We've done multiple flashbacks and our guests. We can't forget our guests. Mm-hmm. We've had, uh, Cameron Aldis, Dave Murphy, uh, Ethan Sachs, Lord Tupperware from Lords of Limited. And you did one with, I can't pronounce his name because I wasn't on the podcast. Tommy Tunovinen. That's pretty good, actually. Uh, and that was, that was very recently. So if you like guest spots, um, Dave Murphy actually just, uh, didn't he become captain of, Team Ireland for the yeah, World Magic he's Cup. He's the Irish national champion. Pro so, Tour competitor and the Irish national champion. Good dude. There you go. We might have to get him on again. I hope I was, hope his team does well. Maybe we can get him on for that. Be nice Heck to yeah. see him back at the Pro Tour getting his reps there. So, um, And it's coming up time for another pickle challenge for Cam. It's It's been a wild and wacky year. It has. It has. And not only in the podcast, but Magic Online. Like, if you go back, we had flashback drafts. Remember, we had like the whole like three months worth of flashback drafts, which were fun for a lot of people in a lot of different ways. Um, were leagues this year new? Did that come around? I don't remember if they've been around for a year now or not. I think they've been around since we were doing this. Because it we was early started on. started with Aether Revolt. Yeah, it was early. But yeah, we've had leagues for a while now. I'm pretty happy with leagues. We've got friendly drafts, which we don't do. But I, I mean, some people do and some people enjoy. Um, did you had... Did you have a top eight in a uh, uh, PTQ online, PTQ finals? Yes, that was before they banned Marvel. Right. You top eighted with Marvel. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, standard has gone marvelous. from standard went from unplayable to playable to seemingly kind of fun, maybe potentially back to unplayable. I'm not really sure where we are on the wheel of meta this, this time of year. Um, I do want to talk about that some today when we get there. I have some thoughts about that. Sure. And then finally, like the big one from this year is they launched uh, or they announced MTG Arena, which we did. We did a whole episode on as well um, without knowing anything about it, except what we saw um, on the web and on the stream. So it's been a wild ride. It's been a good year. I think next year is going to be even better. Let's talk about that at the end. That's a great idea. Okay. So. Cheers to the year past, and uh, let's uh, let's look at the now. Okay, so let's do some random topics here. Let's get the juices flowing. Um, like I said, we had uh, you had a few people in your stream this morning, kind of poke up and, and talk about a few things. So um, the first one, well, let, let's talk about standard first. So last week we talked about standard. You were looking to find a standard deck. We talked a little bit about that, and um, I think you have some thoughts. What what have you come up with? Uh, after the pro tour and uh, playing, I guess the last couple of days on magic online. I, I think it's important for me to recognize coming from standard from limited to standard. Like I've always seen people who are good magic players that just don't get limited. And I'm like, what an idiot. That's what I felt like today when I was playing standard. Really? Um, yeah. They're, they're entirely different games. Like everything that I've learned after we recorded the Mulligan episode, I started mulliganing even less. Like I, I was already not mulliganing much. And then I basically stopped mulliganing at all. And I've won more in limited because of it. And that exact same strategy will punish you in, in standard. Like you, you have to look at your hand and be, does this do something against this start from my opponent? And if it doesn't, you got to send it back. Um, I, I feel like a lot of standard is having enough reps in to know exactly what your deck is knowing what the good and match, bad matchups are, and then understanding like some of them are just unwinnable. Like there's a, a paper, rock, scissors metagame that goes into it. Right. And like initially I was like, well, that, that just sucks. I don't want to play standard. This is awful. I don't want to play standard because limited is all skill based. And I was like, that's kind of a little bit of a trap, Travis. And this was one of those level up moments for me where I'm like, I have to admit that the thing I'm good at can be skill-based and this can be too, because like sometimes you open a bad sealed pool, right? Sometimes you draft the open colors, but the good cards just don't come. And you have, you know, a very mediocre red white deck with no real bombs, but you could still get there. Like I, I, I had to take a minute and recognize that and understand it today. I've been practicing a lot of standard. I've tried various builds of teamer energy, I've tried uh, the God Pharaoh's Gifts deck that Pascal Maynard played. Martin suggested that. I loaded it up and played a league and went 5-0 in standard and was like, oh my God, this deck's amazing. And then put it in the second league and went 0-5 and was like, oh, this deck's terrible. Um, I've tried Rummy Nap Red again, which is what I qualified for the mocks with in the first place. Um, and I'm still no closer to having selected what my deck will be for the mocks, which is coming up this Saturday. Uh, I think I'm going to try a, a list tomorrow and a list Thursday and then kind of see where we go. I, I don't think two weeks to prepare for a standard tournament for somebody that predominantly plays limited is realistic. Like I, it's it's just not. I think you probably need to lock down your deck much sooner so you can get those reps in. Either that so, or, or understand an archetype, right? Like I can mm-hmm. switch 10 cards out of it, but if I understand how to play the burn deck, I'm fine. 
Mm-hmm. And I had practiced that burn deck over and over and over before the the mocks monthly. But now that we're at the finals, like I, none of that practice helps anymore. Yeah. Um, the energy deck in particular is, I think we talked about this last week, where there's so many decision points and so many minor edges to get when you're spending your energy, when you're when to save your energy, you know, what what sequence of cards to play sometimes. Um, even though it does have the free wins of a turn two long test cub that doesn't get answered, for example. Um so have you have you maybe considered or are like do you have any decks that maybe are easier to pilot from a number of decisions perspective like for example um like an esper gifts or like a uh, scarab god deck or or something like that have have you uh have you found anything that might be easier for you to pilot than let's say the the team or energy deck or um or, or something along those lines honestly the god pharaoh's gifts deck was not that difficult to pilot and it was really fun like mm-hmm. it, it was basically just dump as much crap in your graveyard as you can and like cross your fingers that you'll find the combo pieces. And since most of the deck was either combo pieces or ways to find it, it wasn't that difficult. You knew what you were looking for. So like I, I felt like there weren't difficult decisions. It was just kind of like, is what I'm doing sitting here kind of playing solitaire with myself good enough to beat what they're doing? And like in the first five games I played with it, it absolutely was. Even I was kind of punting my way along and, and kind of half getting what I was doing. And then when I felt more confident with it, maybe that's the trick is I've just got to take a completely unknown deck and play it and just trust uh, beginners. Luck. That's not actually realistic. That's not actually like, realistic. I felt like that one had less uh, like there were certainly more decisions, but like it, w- it was all focused around this one thing. It was a very linear plan. I'm going to get you know, the fabricate angel in the graveyard, then get a God Pharaoh's gifts going and then kill you with it. So mm-hmm. like it, it was very streamlined to that. Whereas the energy deck has so many ways to win. It can get you with the cub. It can get you with thought for tokens. It can get you with the glory bringer. Sometimes it's a Hydra. Sometimes it's just attacking with rogue refiners or even servant of the conduits to get you low enough to, you know, cast Chandra and ping you to death. For t- like there's just so many ways you can kill somebody. And that's appealing. I, I even milled somebody out when I was playing the God Pharaoh's gifts deck, that, that was an interesting one. Um, I, I was playing against the, the tokens deck that's using like anointed procession and et cetera, to make 30 servos or whatever. We got to a glorious board stall and I realized they had like 14 cards left in their deck. And I was like, all of a sudden those little one twos that you tap to mill yourself. I'm like, I think I could get four of these in play at once and then pop the rivulet. I did the math and looked at it and just snap milled them out. But it like you've got to look to see lines like that, and I'm not used to looking for stuff like that. So I'm, I'm excited about it, but I think standard and, and constructed in general is a muscle, and you need to flex it, or you're going to forget how to do it. So I, I want to try to commit to having at least a standard day as I go along and play, so that when these tournaments come up, I can be better ready for them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and especially like somebody like you that doesn't have enough time to consume magic since you're creating so much of it. Um, you know, you can't just sit down and, and watch matches from the Pro Tour uh, in review or, or watch things on YouTube, right? You've really got to get the reps in yourself. It, that's part of how I learn too. And there's, a, you know, there's different ways for different people to take in information. I'm auditory. I have to hear it or I have to do it. I'm tactile. For me, watching somebody do it or read, I can't read an article. I won't remember anything that I read from it. So like people will link me to great articles about how to do this or that, and I can read it, but the information's gone just as as soon as it happens. If somebody read it to me, I could remember it. Or if I play the games and make the mistakes, then I'll certainly remember it. Mm -hmm. 
I guess that's okay. what got me into podcasting in the first place. You wanted to you wanted to have the auditory record of Being everything right that was in opt. your. I was going to say your entire brain dump about all the cards you were ever wrong about. Yes, that. <laughs> Is it too late to go back and review like Mark of the Vampire and One with the Wind and things like that? I don't like One with the Wind as much as everybody else on the planet does, but I do like Mark of the Vampire quite a bit. It's the same card. It's not the same card. The lifelink is ridiculously relevant, and it's actually better at four mana than it is at two. Because when when one with the wind is the last card my opponent plays, they often win. When they play it on turn two, I hardly ever lose. Like, so many people are taking it and putting it on one drop, and I'm like, awesome, let's bounce that. Let's kill that. Let's Let's use any number of the ways I have to beat that. And just do that now. Whereas if you wait, like the best mark of a vampire is a splashed mark of the vampire because you can't even cast it on turn four because you shouldn't. It should be the last card you cast. You can't make a mistake and cast it too early. Exactly. It's great. I've done that. I have splashed exactly mark of the vampire. I like that I can get you off on a tangent just by mentioning a card. Yeah. Yeah. We should do a podcast about that so I can just be like exclamation point one with the wind. Go there. You know what? (laughs) Not even just one with the wind. Maybe we'll just do like a like a word association podcast where I just lift list off like random card names and you just go on a tangent. We've already done the old man yells at cloud episode. That's true. That is true. We need another one of those. Okay. Carrying on then with our random brain dump of topics here. So um flashback standard leagues. Uh have you played any of these? I have not. This is not for me. However, it is something that's on Magic Online, and I started thinking about these, and like my initial thought was, why would somebody enjoy this? I don't get it, because like I'm moving into Standard, and it's very overwhelming. And then I remembered how happy I was when Triple Innistrad came back. And I was like, for somebody that played Standard, getting a flashback Standard Gauntlet is like their chance to go back and play those old decks. I really enjoyed the Pro Tour Gauntlet, and honestly, I really wish they were doing this right now so i could go play all of those decks and interact with them like that would be better for me but like this is this is something really cool that magic online features that would be very difficult for someone to put together in in paper like you would have to go collect all of these old cards and then find friends that wanted to play with it and that would be competitive about it um because it's a competitive event here you get a random deck you get to play through the league and it it looks like it would be a lot of fun if you enjoyed the standard and we're playing then so it's kind of like a little bit of free fun nostalgia that you can go back and jump in uh they've been doing the innistrad era ones Uh, i think those will actually end before the podcast comes up but there's another one that starts on the 8th and runs through the 17th um which like if, if that's your deal go check these out or if you want to play some constructed magic and you don't normally play constructed it's a great way to jump in there and play with a 60 card deck and kind of see what it feels like you don't have to know what you're doing and they it, because like a lot of people that jump in aren't going to know what they're doing and they give you a minute or two to review your deck and before you submit it so you can get in there and figure out at, at least what the game plan for this deck is so i think it's a really cool offering that they have and i'm glad that it exists on magic online even though, like I said, I don't think it's for me. I, I think it's neat that they've got all these different offerings to involve different people and kind of make sure that whatever kind of ice cream you like, there's a good flavor for you here. I I personally miss the days when I would jam my casual kitchen table magic deck against hard Esper control with Sphinx's Revelations and Detention Spheres 
Supreme Verdicts. Oh, man, that was so much fun. Well, see, the good news is Dave's crappy homebrew isn't one of the decks you can get in these flashback gauntlets. So you're you're going to have fun. This is true. How many Thrag Tusks are in this uh, flashback standard league? Because, oh, man, that was a fun card, too. Yeah, those were the days. Those were not the days. Uh, no, no, no. I, they, I'm sure they were fun in a competitive environment, but uh, I have, like, PTSD. Uh, <laughs> end of turn, Sphinx's Revelation for eight. Oh, Supreme. Supreme Verdict. Oh, come on. Come on. That yeah, that's fun. a limited player speaking. That's the limited player that speaking. Is the, that is the sealed player, pre-release player at the time. But no, it was it was good. And yeah, um, you know, I, I think if uh, if I still wasn't enjoying Ixalan, I'd probably be playing these. But um, different different strokes for different folks. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of people out there playing in them. They're very popular. So go enjoy them if that's your thing. All right, next random topic. Travis, why am I so bad at magic? Yeah, one of my stream viewers, actually a, a dude that I met at GP uh, Toronto a while back, Scott, super cool dude. He suggested this is kind of a joke, and I thought it might actually be worth talking about for a minute. Like, if you have the feeling that you could be better at magic than you are, I, I would really encourage people to review their gameplay. And it's so easy on Magic Online. We did a whole episode about this, but like, I can't tell you what individual mistakes you're making. The best person that can figure that out is you. Go back and watch your replays. If you have a friend that will watch them with you, they will notice stuff that you certainly want. But like, again, we've covered this in depth, but just using the replay function in Magic Online, it's such an easy way to watch yourself making mistakes. I I think another big one for me, if I'm going to toss some out there, is I'll get locked into a line of play and then fail to adjust. Like my opponent can play one card that completely changes what I should be doing, but I'm so locked into, okay, when I untap, I'm going to attack with these four creatures, use this combat trick and I win that like them playing a particular blocker that lines up very well and ends up with me, you know, one damage short of killing them. I've made that mistake. So it's like, have a good firm picture of what the board state is while you're playing and then pay attention for anything that drastically changes that board state. Um, those are the two tips I would toss out there to somebody that's like, why am I so bad at magic is go back and review your own plays. If you can get a friend to review them with you much better. And then as you're playing, try to reevaluate the board state every time a card is played, especially when it comes to those lines that you've decided what you want to do. Like it's a great shortcut, right? Like what are you thinking about when during your opponent's turn? Actually, this is this is interesting, and I don't know how many people actually do this. I'm thinking about what are the best and worst draws or plays for my opponent to make for me. So that is my that is how I evaluate the board state. So, um, you know, for example, I have the win locked up next turn. I'm looking at my opponent's board. I'm like, the only way that they can beat me is with card X or card Y, right? And if they play this card, then they they buy themselves a turn, and if they play anything else, they're just dead. So. Th- or if, if we're in like a board stall or I'm behind or something like that, I'm thinking to myself, what's the best or worst card that my opponent can play right now? And it makes me look like a genius a lot of the time because it's like I'm calling their top decks. <laughs> but no, but I mean, like, it, it's not that I look like a genius. It's like that I've already thought about what happens if they, oh, they top deck a lightning strike and they kill my guy. Like, you know, what am I doing now? What is my game plan here? And and it's kind of always evaluating what 
like who's the beatdown or who's who's the aggressor, you know, who's defensive? Am I on the front foot? Am I on the back foot? And it's kind of this like mental exercise that I'm always doing. Sometimes it, it gets me though, where I like call my opponent's talk deck and I'm like, oh, I can't beat that. And then I skip through my my phase thinking that, oh yeah, actually I could beat that if I would have just paid attention and not given up a thundering spine back that makes dino tokens to my opponent's hijack without actually making a dino token to block. Um, you know, things like that, but like, that's what I'm always looking for is I'm always looking for, um, scenarios. I'm building scenarios, especially if my opponent's not doing anything mm-hmm. like that's the best time they're taking five minutes to think about their turn or like they're disconnected. It's like, well, I might as well evaluate this game state and then kind of the next two game states beside it. Um, like the most obvious kind of, kind of changes um to the game state that's that's what i do anyway i do something similar as well as consider mapping out my own plays Mm -hmm. so i'll walk through you know what's the best case for them they have the lightning strike and kill my flyer that can attack what's the next best state for them they draw something that can block it what's the, the the next best they draw another creature that can threaten me but can't block my wind drake and then i'll start thinking about okay so if they have a blocker i'll use this removal spell they have another attacker that threatens me. I'll use this removal spell. That's great. If they kill my wind Drake, well, that's okay. I've got three more in the deck that I can draw. Mm-hmm. So getting locked into that, like I can't quite hover over the lightning strike in my hand to be ready to cast it. As soon as they play a creature, I need to evaluate, is this a genuine threat? Like the three, three that they play when I have multiple three, fours, isn't actually a threat. So I don't need to just snap this off and kill it. So like, that's kind of the thing I'm talking about is like, use that time to think about what you might do, but then when there's actually the reaction, kind of save all of that and then say, okay, what do I do in this scenario right now before I press F2 or F6 or F4? Like, what do I need to do right now? And then I think that will lead you to being better. It will lead me to being better. I think we also maybe should define what it means to be bad. Like, so like we say, why am I so bad? And it it's it's that's just more like why why do i lose a game why did i lose a game why am i losing so many games in a row and we've talked about this in the past but i think there's um there there's a few places where you can improve your game right in limited in particular deck building or drafting like did you make mistakes there we talked about this i don't remember what episode it was but it's like um being honest with yourself like did you miss misdraft did you miss build right there's gameplay errors so so there's errors that you make before the game even starts um, you know, deck selection in, in standard or not knowing your deck, for example, is a good example of that as well. You know, gameplay errors, right? These are your like everything from your punts to your minor, minor mistakes. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also just mistakes about concepts in the game or like technical errors. So not just gameplay errors, but like things like technical errors, like you don't understand what a rules interaction is, right? So, you know, there, there's many places for improvement in your game. And I think the the key to getting better is identifying where those mistakes are. And sometimes it's just bad luck. Like sometimes you lose a game, sometimes you're on a losing streak and it's just, you're, you're playing as good as you can and the deck's just not getting there and, and you're going to lose a few games. That's fair too. But I think that should be your last resort. I think you should, you should always be able to find a place for improvement in, in like your three O drafts, your O three drafts, everything. Uh, you can always, always i would say for the average player find one tiny thing that you can fix in your game or or that you can recognize as a mistake the more you recognize those uh the faster you're going to improve but the less you'll make like the less you'll make that same mistake later on i guess right so like for me i'll make one big mistake like once or twice um you know like i'll play i'll I'll forget about settle over the wreckage once 
and then I'll never forget about it again, right? Like I'll draft this format again three years down the road and I'll remember Settle the Wreckage there because <laughs> I got blown out by it once, yeah. right? Um, you know, the punt that I had on stream last night is a good example of that where that's the, I was joking here, where but it's like my opponent, I had lethal, my opponent stole my thundering spine back and I had enough mana to make a token. And instead of me pausing and making that token, I didn't, I hit F2 and they stole it and killed me. Um, and I will never make that mistake again. Like I might make it with another card, but you know, generally speaking, I think that, that I will recognize that, Hey, when my opponent plays a hijack, I should probably see if I have some kind of response, Mm -hmm. um, before they take the creature. Right. So I, you know, it, it depends on, it depends on what portion of the game I think is, is leaking for you or like you're, you're giving up those percentage points, but work on the small things one thing at a time i would say and and you can you should be able to find and, and fix those holes in your game there's there's another little piece to this puzzle too and i think it's recognizing and understanding i'll speak for myself my brain is lazy it 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 doesn't really want to think through a lot of stuff and i, I think maintaining focus on a game that's as hard as magic is very difficult and i kind of have to force myself to do it and to do all the math I can't count the number of times that people in chat have said, swing, you have lethal. And like, I don't like some of them aren't paying and it's, it's okay. They're not as, as invested in the game as I am. Why should they be? They're just watching. They're not playing. There's other times like I've been so locked into a line of play that they're like, did you have lethal there? And I'll go back and count. And I did. And I I just missed it. Like my opponents tapped out. I could have killed them and I didn't. And there was no reason not to. So like, I I think maintaining that focus and not letting your brain get lazy, doing the math, I've, I've happily counted on my fingers in, in front of the stream and on paper at, at GPs. Like, I don't care what I have to do. If, if your goal is to win the game and bad is defined as winning less games than you possibly could, then suck it up, focus on the board state and make sure you're counting and don't get distracted. Like, your brain would rather you lose the game and go to the bathroom because you have to pee or lose the game and go grab a cheeseburger because cheeseburgers are delicious. Your brain doesn't care about this, but you can make it care. If you're like, this is important, do the math, count it like that is entirely doable. So I think that that level of focus has made me a better magic player basically over the course of this last year. Mm -hmm. Did you watch any of the pro tour? No, I looked at all the deck lists. Mm. Okay, so I watched a little bit of the Pro Tour. I uh, had it on the background quite a bit. And um, top players make mistakes. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. Right? Like I, I did get to see that part. Enough people linked me to it that I was like, okay, let's check that out. Which one did you see? The the Mike Sigris in the top eight? Or did you see the Owen? Or Siggy. Owen? Okay, I saw uh, Owen Turtenwald uh, make a mistake. I think he was close to playing for top eight. And uh, he did something as simple as mistapping his mana. He, he left up the wrong colors of mana. Um, and I don't remember if it was so that he needed to activate a Scarab God with it or if he was had something else in his hand to play. I don't remember exactly. But, um, you know, I mistap frequent, not frequently, but like enough. And it, it kind of makes me not, not feel better, but it like I, I'm not the only one that makes those mistakes. So I don't feel so bad about making those mistakes as long as I know that I need to improve at that. You know, like it's, it's not like, Oh, I'm never going to be good at magic because I mistap my mana. It's like, no, like that's a mistake that happens to everybody, but the better you are, obviously the less you make that mistake. So if you're making mistakes and you're recognizing them, like don't sweat it, like work on fixing it. Um, 
But I think recognizing the, the fact that you made the mistake and trying to fix it puts you miles ahead of most most of the players that play Magic. We're talking about competitive, not competitive, right? You're already in one of the upper percentiles if you can recognize that and, and work on fixing it. Um, so right there, that's a good start. Asking this question, why am I so bad? You're already miles ahead of a lot of players. I catch so many. So I don't mean to harp on this topic too much, but I actually think I can help some here. One thing I noticed that was that frequently I would make a play and then immediately recognize it was bad. As soon as I'd done it, I would make the play and then go, oh, crap, I needed to do this instead. And it was too late. So like when I'm in a scenario where I'm recognizing that like there's some pressure for me to make a decision, I will try to envision the board state. What happens if I do this? What does the board look like if this is here? And then adjust the numbers to my life total, my opponent's life total, whatever. And sometimes I can recognize the mistake before I play it, right? And it doesn't seem as mind-blowing when you're like, oh, well, yeah, obviously I should do this instead. And you do it. But you just had a major victory when you figure that out and cast the right spell instead of the wrong spell or leave up the double blue for your cancel instead of just haphazardly tapping mana and slamming your bomb that you know you're going to win with. And then your opponent's like, cancel. Uh Right? So like, it's worth going through that and envisioning the board state before you make those plays. Like you get 25 minutes on your clock. It's, it's cool to take five seconds and make sure your play is right first. Cause you don't get extra points for having lots of time left. Yeah. Um, our, our brains can only handle so many pieces of information at a time, which is probably why, uh, you know, I will make the wrong play and then suddenly realize, Oh yeah, that was wrong because I see that new state or I, I or, or like I'm not thinking about the potential states now, like I've already made my decision, but you're right. And that's part of the exercise too of going through and like, you know, what's my best card to draw? What's my opponent's best card to draw? That kind of, uh, you know, pre-builds those pathways, pre-builds those game states so that you're already thinking of them or you already come to a conclusion on them. Uh, you know, you're pre-compiling all of this information, hopefully. So it's insane how complicated this game can be. I, I like to think of it as lubing up the neurons. There you go. That's That's perfect. I'm going to I'm going to say that next time. Let's just lube up the neurons here and think about what our opponent could play next. It's like there you go. All right. So this is not not really related, but it's it's more going for, more along the lines of going from casual to serious player. So we had somebody I don't remember who was in chat uh ask the question. King RK. There you go. Uh oh yeah, he frequents uh my chat quite a bit actually now that I think about it. Um how to go from a casual Friday night magic style gameplay to your first gp so i've never been to a gp so i'm gonna let you take this one i've been to a bunch of gps i've done well in some i've gone home after a couple rounds of some others i i think you can look at this at any at any point as kind of how to how because like there's a transition from just playing casual to going to fnm right Mm-hmm. So I'm assuming that you've you've made some transition from going to I have these cards, I'll make a deck out of them and play with my friends to I'll go to FNM and see if I can win. But it is a different experience going from Friday Night Magic to either a GP or to going to play on Magic Online. Right. So I, I look at that as that kind of jump. And I think there's there's a bunch of different things to recognize here. But the first one is you're going to play three to five times more magic at a GP. Than you will at FNM. Everyone you play against is going to be more invested in winning than anyone you have ever played at FNM because it's a bigger prize purse. It's a bigger deal. No one is flying 2000 miles to play at your FNM. 
But there are people at that GP who did exactly that to play at this GP. So like understanding those, those stakes and that intent goes a long way with it. So first let's focus on the time thing. You're going to be playing so much more magic. Now I've played Friday night magic. It's, it's been a while. That's not really my thing, but I can remember when I would go, it was a very relaxed and cool environment, right? I think casual is the best way to describe it. Between rounds, I'd hang out with my friends. I'd talk. We'd even play some games with our decks while we were waiting. And like, that's not kind of the same vibe you get at the GP. I sometimes see people playing games of magic between rounds at a GP. And I'm like, you were just burning precious brain cells, man. Like for me, between rounds, I'd listen to Phil Collins or I'd read a book. Like just do anything that's not magic. You're going to get plenty of magic. And like the rep you get with your, you know, team or energy deck between rounds with your buddy, your buddy's not super invested in winning that game and neither are you like practice it before you get there. And then once you're there, don't, don't burn any time on that. As far as the competitive element goes, I wouldn't let that discourage you. Just recognize that everybody there is really going to want to be winning. So like when I play at pre-releases, if somebody taps their manner wrong and it's like, oops, I meant to tap it this way. Can I take that back? At a pre-release, sure, man, I don't care. Like, I'm not there to wreck noobs at a pre-release and brag about going 4-0. At a GP, I've had exactly that happen. Somebody tapped their mana wrong, played played a card, and then tr- was like, can I untap it? I was like, nah, this is a GP, man. Like, and it, it's not somebody being rude when they do that to you, and you're not being rude when you do that to someone. You should do that to someone when you're playing at a GP. Them's the rules, buddy. So for for starters, understand it's a more competitive event. Understand you're going to be playing a lot of Magic. And like I said, I think this carries over to Magic Online too if you're playing in one of the big tournaments. You're in it for the long haul. I would encourage anyone going to their first GP to look at it as a Magic convention that also happens to have a big tournament and focus on the fun stuff you're going to have. I'm sure there's, there's some people who have gone to their first GP and won it that's not me. And I know a lot of other good magic players who still haven't won a GP or top eight at a GP. So I wouldn't make that my goal. I'd make my goal to be go have fun at a big magic convention that happens to have a tournament and then be aware of what you're stepping into, right? Like you're going to play nine rounds on day one. And if you make it to day two, you're going to do at least another six. Like that's 15 rounds of magic. That's a lot of magic. Um, there's also assuming you're going to a limited one, you're going to have a time crunch to build your pool and you're going to have to fill out a deck registration form. Like it's not quite the same as just building your deck at F and M sleeving it up and going, you've got to write down every card, you know, put a little tick box next to every copy of a card that you're playing. You've got to do the same for your sideboard. So like be prepared for all of that and then bring some food with you is the other like last bit I'll mention. Everybody says this for GPs, but not enough people do it. You need to have a backpack full of apples, peanuts, granola bars, and bottled water because convention food sucks. It's not good for you and it, it just messes with your guts. So bring some good stuff that you can eat between rounds and that you don't have to stand in line for. So like th- that would be my basic advice for somebody going to their first GP. Don't let any of this scare you though. It's a hell of a lot of fun. But like I said, just know what you're getting into. I like to, um, and this is this comes from other games that I've played where I've played in large tournaments for Blood Bowl. I've played in poker tournaments, things like that. Like I've played, you know, highly organized, heck, even like you know, sports, sporting events where I've played in uh, weekend tournaments and things like that. I think um, 
it, like, like you say that like everybody at the GP is playing playing to win. I think that's the right approach when you sit down to play your game of magic. But I think there are a I think there's a, a good variety of people that go specifically when it comes to locals. I think like obviously the people that travel for GP they're there to win. Um, but there's a reason why pros get two to three buys. Um, you know to get through the like the, the landmines in the in the in the first couple of rounds. But um, I think a lot of people that go to GPs have different goals or different um, ideas of what they want to get out of the GP. Some go for the side events. Some goes just to say, well, like I went to a GP. Some go because it's local. Some go to win the whole thing. I think a lot of people go to win the whole thing and nobody wants to like everybody dreams about winning a GP if they go. Um, Some people just go specifically to win. Um, But identify what you want to get out of it. So um a really good example of that is of this is like I've never been to a GP, but I've been to you know two day Blood Bowl tournaments, for example, um, which is a board game, a fantasy sports board game type thing. Um, it's very nerdy. It's super super nerdy. But um, you know, my goal was to go and win the whole damn thing. And the guy that I carpooled with, he was going. There, there's a there's a trophy called the uh, the wooden spoon, which is given out to the worst player at these tournaments usually. And his goal wasn't to win the wooden spoon, but it was to have a lot of fun along the way and be competitive for the wooden spoon, not losing on purpose, but he was playing a third tier team with a fun skill build that was, you know, 10% to win a single game in the entire tournament, let's say. And we both had a lot of fun, right? I was super competitive. I finished close to the top. He was super not competitive, but all his games were super fun. And we both had positive experiences based on our definition of what we went there for right so if you're super competitive go in you know train hard you know get get as technical as you can know your deck play to win but if you're going and you're like well you know i'd be happy if i went five four in in day one at my first gp you know that's a good goal to have if that's something you think you can attain and you would be happy with that there's no reason why you can't be sad about setting that kind of attainable goal, right? Um, some people just say like, I'm going to go and I'm going to play my first two rounds and I'm probably going to drop and then I'm going to go play side events, right? Like everybody has their own goals. So identify that and and realize that you can have fun, I think, doing anything. A lot of people that, that are going to go, they're going to win. They're going to want to make day two. You know, that's great. But a lot of people are just like, you know, their main goal is just, I just want to make day two. I don't care how I get there. I just want to make day two. And um and draft on day two at a at a limited tournament. So set, set your goals, right? Um, I think the other one that I would want to say is, um, sorry, you were going to say? I was going to say set your goals and then like don't beat yourself up, right? Mm-hmm. Like if, if you set your goal as I'm going to win the GP and then you don't, you're, you're kind of setting yourself up for failure. I like putting it as I'm going to pay attention in every game that I'm playing and I'm going to play the best of my ability with the intention of leading towards a victory at this GP. So like my goal is really just to play well. And then ideally that will lead me into winning the GP. If it doesn't happen, I can say, did I play well? If I didn't, I can say, why not? And do something about it. So like all of my goals are not ones that are going to leave me feeling bad. No. Also, then you can backtrack, right? You can, you can, you can look at all of the the points in the tournament to reevaluate or evaluate how you played or, or how you built your deck and things like that, which goes back to the previous one of why am I so bad, right? Like if, if you, if you go three, six or, or, you know, three, whatever, three, three drop or three, four drop or something like that, you can, you can step back and learn that as a, as a, or use that as a learning experience too. And like, you know, why, why did that happen? Um, if that's something that, that you want to get better at. 
Absolutely. And then um, other thing in the GP is like you mentioned the 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 level of seriousness, the the rules enforcement level, the REL. Um, don't be afraid to call a judge, and don't feel bad if somebody calls a judge on you. Like that is that is a thing. You need to play the game by the rules. Everybody needs to play the game by the rules. But I've seen people at F and M that get upset when you call a judge, um, thinking it's a slight on them. Like like don't don't worry about that. Call a judge. Your opponent's anonymous, essentially, right to you. Like you're never going to play against them again, likely. Um, and you know, you need to protect yourself in tournaments. You need to protect your deck in a tournament. Like, you know, you need to play by the rules and so does your opponent. So don't be afraid to call a judge, uh, if there's some shenanigans going on and don't feel bad if an opponent calls a judge on you, I would say. The biggest time that happens is when you think a card works one way and your opponent thinks it works another, like uh, your opponent has a vested interest. Like if you're like, are you sure it works that way, dude? And they say, yeah, it does. Like, they haven't, I'm not saying that they're necessarily lying. I'm just saying like, they're not impartial about this at all. They want to win this match. So you need that impartial person there. I think in in a perfect world, there would be one judge for every two players at a GP. And there would be a judge watching every match happen and like just ready to, to pounce if anybody made a rules error to fix it and straighten it out. Like when you look in feature match areas, when they've got two professional players playing, there's a judge sitting beside them. And it looks like all they're doing is handing them tokens because they're not making a whole lot of mistakes. But the judges are there paying attention to that game to make sure that nothing gets screwed up while it's on the camera match. Like that that's important. It's not bad to call a judge. I Like I have called judges at GPs before and I will certainly do it again. And I'm not meaning anything bad to my opponent when I do it. I'm just like, hey, I want to make sure this is how the rules work. I called a judge once so I could go pee. There you go. Watch my deck, please. Yep. <laughs> All right. Um, next random topic. Why are defensive combat tricks so bad? I, you know, there's a lot of talk about how and when and why to use a combat trick. The The main time, the main thing to recognize is that combat in this game greatly advantages the person who is defending they get to choose the blocks. They get to assign the blocks. When the attacker passes, the defender gets to take an action. And if they don't, it's done. Right? So if you're attacking me, I do blocks. You decide. And Moto is great at spacing these out for us. Like, I didn't really understand how this worked until I played on Magic Online. It's like, who's supposed to go first? Who's supposed to do what? But Dave's attacking me. I make blocks. Dave has a chance for effects. I have a chance for effects. If I have none, everything happens. If Dave has some, then I get to respond to Dave's. And that's why defensive combat tricks are usually pretty bad. Because once the blocks are lined up, your opponent is often attacking before they cast their creature. So all of their mana is up. If I use a combat trick, Dave gets a chance to respond to it. If I've lined up the blocks in such a way that like they're already pretty good for me, I don't want to use a combat trick. If he passes, I just want to pass and let it happen. So it's all about that who gets to respond when, where, and how. Same case on attacking. If if I've got a combat trick and I attack into my opponent and they have mana up and then block in such a way that like the creatures are going to trade anyway, it, I'm almost more incentivized to just let it happen and save the combat trick because I don't want them to get that response and blow me out with an instant speed removal spell or even a bounce spell. Like, have you gotten your creature grip tighted when you went to cast Vampire Zeal on it yet? It doesn't feel good. It never feels good. 
Yeah, it's like they just got a two for one, a fantastic two for one. And then, you know, even the other bounce spells, like just unsummoned from the, the most recent format, if they bounce your guy in response to a combat trick, it, it's really not a two for one, but it kind of feels like it with the tempo loss and you lost your trick and the thing you thought you were going to kill, it isn't dead. So like, I, I really think defensive combat tricks are the worst because they're, they're, they're kind of made to force through damage and get one over on an opponent who's tapped out to cast a big creature. And you lose so much of that advantage when your opponent has their mana up and they're attacking you. And then when you do it, they got a chance to respond with so much mana up. Like I, I avoid using defensive combat tricks at all costs. Like sure strike, it doesn't want to be used so that my vampire token can eat a hill giant. It's scared to death to do that. It wants to be used when I attack with my 3-3 menace and my opponent double blocks it. It's like, heck yeah, go for it, man. They're tapped out. They don't have anything. Eat both of these creatures and be happy. There's varying levels of risk involved, right? Like, you know, you will use a defensive combat trick at some point in your magic career. Um, it's just, it's just not, it's not a positive, exp- it's, it's not, it's not a net positive uh, scenario for you over the long haul. Um, magic is a game. You, you say it rewards the blocker. It's more along the lines of it rewards the person that has the last say, right? It rewards the person that, that can finalize the phase and can move to the next one. Um, and when you use a defensive combat trick, you have to remember that you're giving your opponent the last word essentially, because you probably don't have a follow-up to that, right? Uh, you attack, I block, you pass. I use my defensive combat trick. I probably don't have another one in my hand. I probably don't have another piece of removal in my hand or the mana to cast it, let's say, right? Very rarely do you have a second play, like a second trick or or another removal spell and the mana to do that, right? Quite frequently, you're leaving up one piece of removal or one combat trick. Um, So you don't get that opportunity that if your opponent does something, that you get the last word back because you don't have anything you can do. So I think anytime you can kind of prevent your opponent from getting the last word you're at a huge advantage whether that be blocking you know counter war combat tricks anything um i think that last word is key that's why magic is so great that's actually a really good way to look at it and i think the other reason defensive combat tricks are worse is that like you have to have them if they're attacking you with a three three and you block with the two two like they know you've got something right whereas when you attack in the other way before the like as the blocks are happening, they don't know whether you have it or not because they're lining up the blocks. So it kind of gives you that chance to, to basically, like they've said, kind of have the last word when you're attacking, be like, okay, I've lined up the blocks. What have you got this? Mm-hmm. And like all, all of a sudden you're, you're, you're making something there, but that's, it's a great way to think about it. It's about who gets the last word. Yeah. Um, you also have the, um, the, uh, the upside when you're attacking of your opponent just not blocking, right? So like I attack and I have a combat trick, right? You don't always use it because sometimes your opponent just doesn't block. Yeah. Right. Sometimes your opponent reads your bluff, uh, or like or like, you know, like they, sorry, they don't read your bluff, but you might be they might think that you have it or you're and and go through this mental exercise of like, well, you know, they probably have it, so I'm gonna let it through. I don't want to throw my creature away. Or they they value their, their creature more than yours. Um, where, whereas like the other way you're making that blocking decision. So you're kind of locked into that, right? So it's like holding up a combat trick and saying, I'm going to block is pretty much locking you into that line of like, yep, I'm going to use it or else my turn is going to be wasted. And if all of a sudden your opponent attacks in with a three, three and you're like, well, 
I kind of feel priced into block and using the trick, especially if my creature is like smaller. Um, yeah, it's magic is great. There's so many different lines. I think just recognize though, that sometimes you have to go for it. Sometimes you're so far behind and your opponent's creature is so balmy that you just got to get them. Um, and sometimes your opponent will be tapped out too, if you're lucky. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, last one, I think before we do the year forward, uh, this is part of the year forward here. So it's, it's kind of, kind of goes into it. So is Ant magic arena going to kill magic online? We've talked about this a little bit before, but yeah, now that I mean, we know a little bit more about it. Yeah. Today they announced that magic online will go down the same day that magic arena is released. So we can know for sure that magic online will do. No, I, like I had people in chat actually saying stuff like that. Um, I, I managed to get Dave while he was taking a sip of a glass of water, and that makes me happy. I thought he was almost snort almost spit it everywhere. Good, good, good. We almost got a spit take. So th- there's a lot of people panicking about this. What do we actually know, Dave? Um, we know that uh, that some amount of people participated in the alpha, and then that's all that we know. Mm-hmm. We know that uh, there will be open or closed beta on the 30th of November, and that there. That's all we know. Like, honestly, like we don't know anything else except what we've seen on stream. So we know that you can play magic, right? We know that um, th- that's about all that we know. <laughs> like, I'm trying to I'm struggling to think of the things that we know about this game. That's all that we know. What what we know and what we have heard so far is that when it is released, you will be able to play standard and draft. What I haven't heard is what that will look like. I do strongly believe that they'll be moving towards a model that is similar to Hearthstone or Arena where it's single game matches without sideboards, right? So that that may be available. That's me speculating. But all we know is that it'll have standard and draft. We haven't heard that it'll have sealed. We haven't heard that it'll have modern. We haven't heard what sets you'll be able to draft. It would surprise me if like we're ever going to see Odyssey flashback on this. And we might one day. And honestly, if it gets to the point where you can do everything on it that you could do in on Magic Online, why would you play Magic Online anymore? It's not like Magic Online died at that point. But th- there was something that we were talking about before that I I, I, I kind of think is going to keep Magic Online alive and kicking for a long time. Dave, why do you like Magic Online better than Eternal? Because there's I have skin in the game. There's stakes to be played. There are the there uh, outside of the casual rooms there is nowhere where my opponent can concede for free right so if i'm playing in a league if i'm playing in a in a in an eight-man queue uh you know if i'm not playing in those casual multiplayer rooms or the casual single player rooms i know that my opponent is either playing to win or they're giving up some kind of value on magic online some ticket like dollar packs whatever it is, there is some kind of stake to be played for. And I enjoy playing for stakes. Yeah, me too. Like that's a big draw to me for magic online when there's other card games out there that are flashier and and some of them quite good and interesting. Like the stakes just aren't there. Like when I'm practicing standard, I'm practicing in competitive standard leagues and every once in a while, somebody will show up in chat and they're, they're well-meaning and I I don't mean anything bad by this, but they're like, Hey, I built a mill deck. You want to play against me? I'm like, no, actually, I don't. That That's not the experience that I'm looking for. I want to play against opponents who, just like you said, have skin in the game. If I win, it means something. Like, these decisions matter, and it, it, it kind of increases that focus level. And again, I don't know how Arena is going to be monetized, 
but it, it, they've said that it's going to be free to play. So I imagine there will be places where you're playing against your opponent and you have a strong turn one, two, and three, and they concede. And like, that just doesn't happen in competitive standard leagues, right? Like that'll happen, you know, once out of every 50 games. Whereas I could see that being a pretty common occurrence. And, and that has been my experience in playing other free to play card games. And that like, if you're, you're grinding on the ladder or whatever it is, and you have a very strong opener, many of your opponents will just concede, take the rank loss so they can get in the next game sooner. And that, that to me doesn't feel like real magic. I want to grind it out until that last life point is pulled from my cold, dead hands. Yep. Like I'm just not going to give you that ticket. Well, and, and magic has the interesting uh, aspect of the mulligan too, right? Where, um, you know, Hearthstone eternal don't really have this where you actually go down cards. Um, but I could see opponents in, in like the ladder, right? Where you're playing for, for coins or gold or whatever it is. Um, and your opponent has no skin in the game because it didn't, you didn't get charged for entry into this. They mull the five and they scoop them up because it's like, well, why would I play with five cards? I'm like 20% to win. Like some of my most fun magic has come from a mull to five in like a game three in a, in a serious, you know, two Oh bracket match in a draft or something like that. Like, I don't want to rob myself of that experience. So like, not only, not only do I not want my opponents to do that, um, I don't want to feel like, well, I mold a five. I'm just going to like right click concede this game and let's go to the next one. Like I can't win this game. I don't want to fall into the trap either. That's why I like having even a small amount of, of stake in the game, right? Like it's, it's so funny. Like, I don't know why my brain works like this, but if, um, I, I will, if, if I pay $40 for like a single player game and I get like 10 hours of enjoyment out of it, like like that that's fine i'm pretty happy with that right but like i i will like take 50 cents worth of or a dollar worth of of tickets on magic online way more seriously than the 40 dollars i spent on this single player game like i will agonize for days over a mistake that i made and lost a pack in a draft league because of it whereas this 40 dollar game that i played for a few hours and kind of tucked it away and never played again i don't care like that money's gone i'm never going to get that back but like pennies and then like dollars on magic online i stress and agonize over those when I could just take $40 and put it in on magic online and like, yeah, whatever, like who cares? Like I'll just go draft again. But like I take every single ticket, every single draft pack so seriously on magic online. I have no idea why. And I you was, enjoy it or you wouldn't do it. Exactly. I used to play online poker, like one cent, two cent stakes. And I would track my $2 buy-ins. Right. And I would, I would hate it if I lost 12 cents in an hour. It's like, man, like, I can't believe I lost like 10% of my buy-in. This is so stupid. Like, I'm a terrible poker player and I would beat myself up over it, but I enjoyed every minute of it. And it was $2, right? Like, That's my like bankroll. $500 US. My bankroll online was like $12 and I practiced <laughs> like strict bankroll management. It's like, well, I'm under $10. I got to drop down to the one cent, two cent level. Like, you know, oh, I doubled my buy-in. I can go and take a stab at two cent, four cent, no limit. Like, whoa, let's go. Big spender, right? Yeah. And like, and like here I am with like a full-time job and like, you know, two incomes at home, no kids kind of thing. And it's like, you know, I, I could just go sit down at the casino and play like one, two, no limit, like $1, $2, no limit and not, and not care about it. Right. And like money wise. So it's just weird how like I, I get invested for these tiny, tiny stakes, but I enjoy taking it seriously. Um, 
and when I'm taking it seriously and my opponent's not, that is not a positive experience for me. And it's not a positive experience for my opponent either, right? Yeah. And it's possible that like that isn't what will happen, but I have seen it happen in other card games uh, that have gone digital. So like, I don't think Magic Online is going anywhere right now. And I think if it ever does, it will be because Arena is so great that everyone wants to go play it. Not because they Wizards is just like, well, we're going to kill this now. And like, they're very well aware that a lot of people have some money invested in this game. And it like, it would be a PR nightmare for them to just yank that out from under you. So I don't think they're looking to kill your baby. They're looking to have a brother. There you go. I think MTG arena, magic arena will kill magic online when it surpasses in most of the aspects. So like it's never going to surpass it in everything. Like you're probably never going to play vintage on magic arena, at least not in like the foreseeable future. Um, but like I could see, I could see magic online going away. Um, like the player base dying. If you can draft, if you can play modern, if you can do sealed. And if they are competitive, I think, I think those are the prongs that you need. And then standard obviously, but standard I think is a given. I think magic arena standard will beat magic online standard. Um, assuming you play best two out of three, but like, People that want to practice for GPs, if, if all the games on Magic Arena are best of ones and you can't sideboard, like no serious player is going to play Magic Arena over Magic Online when they're doing their testing for GPs and things like that. So, yeah, but like I, I think this is starting like this game is supposed to appeal to me more than the paper player because like I barely play paper anymore and I kind of don't want to like I'm a Magic Online guy. I, I would so much rather play in a PTQ online than go to a GP. Like just the line for the bathroom is so much easier. Mm-hmm. The food's better. <laughs> uh, do you have Do you have more than one bathroom in your house? I was going to say, is there often a line for the bathroom in your house? <laughs> There's two bathrooms and two of us, so it's absolutely it's it's never a problem. It's never a problem. But no, like realistically, nobody knows, and it's so far off. We're talking like heat death of the universe into the future. Um, and if it if it ever if if Magic Arena takes off and Magic Online dies, it will be a positive experience for most people involved, I think. I think so. And I can't imagine that it's like going to disappear and you can't at least get some of your investment back. I don't think it's time to panic and time to sell off. Enjoy Magic Online for what it is because it's freaking awesome. And I'm looking forward to playing it again tomorrow. There you go. Actually, it is time to sell off. You should sell all of your cards to me and I will buy them for pennies on the dollar. <laughs> I will I will take your Magic Online cards and turn them into cold hard cash for you. Three cents on the dollar. You can't get that deal any better anywhere else. And then you'll waste it on one cent poker. Oh God, no. I don't play online poker anymore. Are you <laughs> kidding me? I can't handle the swings. <laughs> yeah, it's, oh, I lost five cents. Oh. Uh, I think that was a line from Rounders. Have you ever seen that movie? That was uh, Matt Damon's character. A lot of a lot of pros don't play No Limit because they can't handle the swings. Oh yeah, yeah. That's me. I see what you did there. I see what you when did. when I see that that graph go down, man. All right, let's close it out then with with looking forward to the next year. So I'm locked into you. Let's do this again next same time next year. Agree. But, um, what are you looking forward to this year? Magic podcast. Let's go. I'm looking forward to arena. I realize we just babbled about it a lot, but I'm like crazy, stupid, excited about this. I think one of the biggest things that magic needs is more eyes going to it. And it like, 
I'm not sure exactly where they all came from, but I've had a lot of new people in my chat lately that have come from Hearthstone and are checking out magic Mm. and they're kind of getting their minds blown by the cards. And it's funny to see them evaluate stuff and talk about things and be like, Oh, this card looks amazing. And then I'll explain to them why it's not in magic. And they'll be like, Oh, okay. That makes a lot of sense. Like that's what we need most is new eyes. They're neat. And like, that's a good thing for the game. More people playing the game that you like is awesome. It's not terrible. It's more people to beat. It's more friends to make. It's more people to fund the product that you want to buy so they can make even more of it. And if Arena can deliver a fourth of what I'm I'm hoping for from it, then it's going to be fantastic. Even an eighth would be great. I just want more people playing Magic, and I think Arena can get us there. Uh, so Arena is the thing I'm I'm most hyped about. And I'm also kind of minorly hyped about returning to Dominaria. My favorite magic block ever was Mirage block. The flavor was just delicious. I had never seen like a, a lot of the, 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 the games that I had played before, like Dungeons and Dragons and Spellfire and some of the stuff when I was a kid was like all just kind of generic European fantasy. And it was really cool to see like an African culture portrayed in this fantasy environment. And I, I really liked that. And magic has done a great job of that going forward. Like they've, they've gone and kind of explored different cultures and done stuff. That's not kind of just generic Euro fantasy, but like that kind of struck with me because it was like, this is really cool. I've never seen this before and I dig it. And we're going to return to that world and explore it some more. I'm hopeful that we'll get some more of the, the characters and settings for Mirage. But even if they don't go back to that specific block, just returning to Dominaria after so many years is exciting. I don't, I don't even like, what happened? Where is everybody? Are, are we going to have a Sarah Angel reprint? Like there's so many cool things that we could see there. So if I got to pick just two things that I'm excited about for next year, those would certainly be the biggest two. Yeah. For, for me, um, I'm really looking forward to growing the podcast. Um, I'm like, I, I feel like we've hit a groove now. We're doing it weekly. I feel like, uh, you know, with a little bit of support and kind of going a little more all in on, uh, on a few things. I've got uh, a couple of things on the, in the back of my mind that I want to do with, uh, with the podcast with you. Um, so I want to, I want to see if we can take that to the next level. Pretty excited to do that. Um, I mean, geez, like a hundred episodes is, is not that far away if you think about it, right? Yeah. 50, 52 episodes ish between now and this time next year. Um, that puts us really close to a hundred. So, and I think we can get there. Um, playing more magic um more paper magic for me specifically uh i'm looking forward to this year so um i've got my kid lit excited we're gonna do a draft uh coming up here fairly quickly um we've done a couple of uh heads like two-player drafts at home where we uh, i forget what the name of it where you make a stack of six packs and you make three piles and you look at the first one and you take it or, or put it back and then you look at the second one put it back whatever rochester winston draft something like that i think it's winston yeah, Friday night, uh, Friday nights, uh, loading ready. Ron did a uh, an episode that that featured that, but um, she's pretty excited, and I'm really excited because um, for me, it's a return to the magic of the game when I was learning how to play. Right, and when I when I first drafted and how how I didn't know what I was doing, but it was still a lot of fun. Um, and I can see a lot of that in, in her. So I'm really excited to bring a new player into the limited world. And of course, you know, we just crush our two at a giant event. So like, gotta, gotta keep up the practice there. Um, but, uh, also I think finally, I mean, MTG Arena side, you know, 
that's it's gonna be great i can't wait to to see if we can stream it uh fairly soon here um we're in the golden age of of of, of limited magic and maybe just the golden age of magic in general you look at all the supplementary sets there's something for everybody there's commander there's a frick, like a new unset right there's yeah. um uh, the iconic masters eternal masters style sets there are um fantastic stories fantastic art theme fantastic limited sets like everything seems to be going so great for magic um it's hard to it's hard to envision that the next year of magic will be anything less than extraordinary um and i'm not exaggerating when i say that i think so i'm really looking forward to see um specifically you know what the next set uh, rivals of ixland looks like and return to dominaria and then where they go with the new block structure the new um kind of open block structure when it comes to limited um yeah i'm, I'm really excited so it's gonna be a good year yeah i think i'll play magic for another year too you think are you actually you know what we should do we should also just kind of pump your tires on the stream here um you're really close to your sub goal of of you know, basically hitting your hitting your goal so that you can stream all of next year. So when you say you think you're going to play Magic next year, y- I mean you actually mean it, right? Like, like that's a realistic thing for you now. Yeah, yeah. Um, I went into the the streaming full time with some goals, and it looks like we're going to hit them. Now, that that's not going to make me Twitch rich. Um, I, I still got some more work to do past that, but like very close to hitting that. And it does look like I'm going to get to be a Magic player again next year. Like this, the support from my chat has been overwhelming, and I'm kind of mind blown um that that they've rallied together and made this happen and i i i want to i want to do something with it i'm i'm averaging about two ptq top 8s a year and i've had five of them now i should like all i need is three more and i have to win one right that's just how math works yep you're so going to get there we're going to get there we're going to get there you're going to you're going to get a feature match at the pro tour and they're going to use your real name and not your stream name no i want them to use the stream name that's fine. All right. Well, I think that's going to do it for us this week then. Um, thanks once again to face-to-face games and mana deprived for the host and um, no homework this week. Just, uh, just go out and enjoy your magic. Travis, where can they find you if they want to come support your stream? If you want to see my stuff, you can find it at twitch.tv slash Simulan. You can also follow me on Twitter for I am a twit and sometimes tweet. I'm at Simulan. And I am uh, D Civilian on both. It's D S A V I L L I A N. Uh, we hope to see you there. And um, thanks again for listening. Bye.